0: Let's start off with prayer requests this evening. Uh, we had two individuals this past week in the hospital from the church. We need to pray for Melanie, and we also need to pray for Lynn. They were both in the, in the hospital. Uh, hopefully they are getting well. I believe they are. Anybody else got a special prayer request, And you're welcome to touch base with us on Facebook if you've got a prayer request. If I'm hearing nothing, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to study and read your word together, Lord. We ask that you'll move, that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, God. We ask that you'll touch those that are sick, Lord, that you'll heal their bodies, Lord, and move as only you can. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray, amen. We are in chapter 2, verse 8. We are talking about the second church of the seven. Uh, My plans are, and today will probably be a shorter class, because my plans are just to do one church a week. Hopefully nobody gets upset with that, but I believe it's important that we we understand the churches very, very well. So chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 8 says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, Right, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead, and is alive. We understand that that is Christ talking. We understand that that is Christ telling the church of Smyrna. This is not John. This is coming straight from me, to the angel of the church or to the pastor of the church in Smyrna. Comes a message from Christ, the first and the last, and we heard in Revelation 1, where he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Christ also reminds the church that he was crucified, but he came back to life. The second letter to the churches of Asia Minor was to Smyrna. They are approximately 35 miles to the north of Ephesus, a little over a day's journey. Roughly 20 miles was a day's journey. Smyrna was also a seaport city and rose to prominence to rival that of Ephesus and the Pergamos. It became the site of an early Christian church, and it is to this church that this letter is addressed. And we're going to understand that even though it was a seaport, it wasn't, well, the church wasn't as rich as Ephesus. And the city may not have been as rich as it could have been. I know thy works, in verse 9, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, that's that's pretty harsh words when you really stop and think about it. The synagogue of Satan. That's Christ himself saying that. There's no denying. There's no hiding. There's no a mystery about what he really thought about this church or about the city, not the church, but the city of Smyrna. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Christ knows our troubles. He knows that those things we call success. The church of Smyrna was very poor. Not just in poverty. If you go back and look at the uh, Greek word here, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but if you go back and look at the Greek word, it meant very poor. It meant extreme poverty. They didn't have two dimes to rub together, if we would say it. They were extremely poor, but yet it was a seaport that rivaled prominence of Ephesus. So where's the money going? Where is all of the goods and the, and the trade? And we're going to learn something about Smyrna that just blew me away when I, when I found out about it a little later on in class. The word for this in Greek means extreme poverty. However, in God's blessings, the church was rich. We've got to understand that we are rich in God's blessings. It may not be materially We may not drive the fanciest cars, we may not live in the fanciest houses, we may not dress to the nines, but we are rich in God's blessings if we are a follower of him. I mean, he told us already that we're heirs, joint heirs. We are rulers. We're going to find out about that later on in the book of Revelation, what we're going to be able to rule. And I'll just park it here for a second there's a new book that I just heard about, and it's about how those of us that believe in the rapture are wrong, and pretty much how we are blaspheming because we believe in the rapture. And they say it's selling like hotcakes. So there's a lot of false teaching out there still, and it's getting worse and worse, but I just saw that to earlier this evening, and I'm like, heaven help us. And he's a pretty well-known author that wrote the book. He's pretty well-known in the Bible world and Bible scholars. But yeah, he believes that the rapture is a falsehood. So we need we need to pray for those individuals that are out there in false teaching. My apologies. That was that one was not involved in the class, but uh, that was free for you. They may not have had material goods, but the blessings of God were rich and overflowing the church had many tribulations. One of the Christian martyrs, we still read about and even sing about, named Polycarp. An early church leader in Smyrna was tied to a stake and the wood was set on fire. The song, and I'm not gonna sing it, but I wrote it like the song says. The fire wouldn't consume him, so they pierced him with a sword. The fire ran out, put out, or the blood ran out, excuse me, put out the fire, and he still praised the Lord. That's from the song called, He Ain't Never. Polycarp was and died, he lived and died in, in Smyrna when he became a martyr for the Lord. He was a bishop of Smyrna. He was one of the leaders of Top leaders of the church of Smyrna. This is just one example of persecution that the church had to endure. They lost their they lost their pastor. They drug him out, tried to burn him at the stake, and then killed him with sword in front of his church. In front of his church members, and it did not matter how old or how young. They were all forced to watch this. He believed in the Lord so strongly that he was willing to give his life for the sake of Christ and spread the gospel. Those that killed Polycarp would claim to be Jewish. Now, they nobody knows if these individuals went to the temple, the tabernacle, whatever you want to call it, the high church of the Jewish nation and asked permission to kill Polycarp, or if they was just acting on a whim. Whether they asked to kill him, or they just did it, it's speculation. But according to tradition and records that can be located, the ones that killed Polycarp acted on their own, and not with the guidance and direction of the Jewish council or church. They actually killed this guy without any... Direction and leading and guidance. Now, it's bad enough you get tied to a stake and burned at the stake and killed with a sword. It's even worse when you do this without the sanction of the church. And we're talking back then. It was even worse. That's the reason why they arrested Christ at night. They was afraid of the people. They was afraid that the people would would rise up in a revolt. They'd done this without asking permission. Had they asked permission, would they have still done it? Probably, but they didn't ask for permission. That's the way it looks anyway. Smyrna was known as the synagogue of Satan since uh, 23 AD. That was 23 years after Domini, or after Christ. The Roman Senate had granted Smyrna the right to be the center of emperor worship. Smyrna had competed for this right against 11 other cities to gain this recognition from the Senate. I could see a in my mind's eye when I wrote this, I could see a sign on the the highway going into Smyrna. Smyrna. Welcome to Smyrna, home of emperor worship, like we have on our signs. Welcome to Stanley, championship, baseball, little league champion or whatever. I can see this sign that says home of emperor worship. But why? Why was they so involved in all of this? Why did they want to, to have the church as a or the city, excuse me, as the seat for emperor worship? Well, it brought in money. It brought in tourists. It brought in goods. It brought in people. They done it for greed. I didn't write that, but that's really why they did it. But how they won the Roman Senate was they had the temple of Zeus on the top of Mount Pagos and they continued with temples dedicated to Apollo Aphrodite, Assepolis and the goddess Cybele. so they have multiple Roman gods in their city and goddesses in their city and that's with a little g All false gods, all false religions started by Satan himself. It is no wonder why God calls Smyrna the synagogue of Satan, and it is no wonder why the church of Smyrna was persecuted. They were standing up for what was right, but yet they're surrounded by evil. And we're going to see more in the description of Smyrna why they call it the emperor worship. But that was one of the main draws for the Senate to say, hey, you know, you're already into this. God-like worship will give you the title king of emperor worship or home of emperor worship. Verse 10 says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Perfect love casteth away all fear from John, First John four eighteen and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So we have nothing to fear if we love Christ. Yes, they may persecute us. Yes, they may throw us into prison. And yes, they may even kill us. But we have nothing to fear. Winston Churchill once said, We have nothing to fear but fear itself. We don't even have to fear fear. There is nothing out there to fear. Again, yes, they may come for us eventually, and they may throw us in prison or they may kill us. But as a friend of mine's pastor said as he was being wheeled into the surgery, and the surgeon stood him said, You may not come out from under anesthesia. You may not survive. He looked up at him right before he went to sleep and said, don't threaten me with heaven. After it was over with, the the pastor came back and the surgeon came in with some of the nurses and said, we want to ask you a question. And the pastor said, what's that? He said, when we told you, you may not survive. You looked at us with a clear eyes and a smile on your face and said, don't threaten me with heaven. What did you mean? He led some of the nurses to the Lord right then and there. If we stay, we've got Christ, so we win. If we go and we go to heaven, we're with Christ, so we win. So we're a winner either way. Yes, I am quoting old songs up here. But we are a winner either way, whether we're here or whether we're there. If we have the love of God, and as Christians we do have the love of God, we have nothing to fear, not even fear itself. Christ tells Smyrna Church to not fear the unknown and future persecution. It is a temporary thing and will not last long. The scripture here states 10 days. This does not mean that you are going to be persecuted and have tribulation just for 10 days. When you read and study the Bibles, oftentimes when it gives you a date or it gives you a a period, a week, a month, a year, a thousand years. It's not meaning that literally. Now, for when it says a thousand years, we, we know the scripture that says a day is but a thousand years, and a, day, a thousand years is but a day to the Lord. We know that scripture. It's not saying that what there's only been two, two days in heaven since the 2000s. Since we've been here these two, two thousand years, that's not just two days in heaven. A thousand years is all they could think about. That was an infinite long period of time in this culture, and so when they say that a day is a thousand years, they're saying a day is infinity, and infinity is but a day. You won't realize it. Won't it? Won't feel like it's dragging. It's just going to be, time won't matter. It just doesn't have the same pull and draw and and recognition that we have down here. So he says here, you'll have tribulation 10 days. 10 days is a short period of time. So you're going to have tribulation for a temporary moment of time. Now, it may last for years, but it's still temporary when you're compared to eternity. Genesis 24 and 55 says, And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that she shall go. In that case, the ten days was literally ten days. Let her stay for at least ten days. Nehemiah 5 and 18. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep also fowls were prepared for me and once in 10 days store all sorts of wine yet for all this required not other brother the governor because the bondage was heavy upon this people jeremiah 42 and 7 came to pass after 10 days the word of the lord came unto jeremiah daniel 1 and 12 prove thy servants i beseech thee 10 days and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink it often means, yes, 10 days, but it often means a short period of time. This particular instance shall have tribulation 10 days. It's temporary. Think about what you do in less than two weeks. In, in a little over two weeks, it's August. Here in the United States of America and all over the world, the calendars gets flipped in just a short period of time. In 10 days, it's July the 24th. We've just got a little bit more, another week, and we're in a new month. My dad always said that when July the 4th came, it seemed like it was no time for Labor Day. And I thought, yeah, right. But as I've gotten older and closer to my dad's age, I'm beginning to believe the old boy knew what he was talking about. It does seem to fly by. I told somebody not too long ago that within 10 years, I would be retired from Duke. Oh, that's a long period of time. And I looked at them and said, when was the last time we merged with the company? How long ago? And they stopped and they looked at me I said, July, it's been 10 years since we merged with another company. The big company, Progress. Not Piedmont, but Progress. Been 10 years since Duke Energy merged with Progress Energy. Snap of our fingers, it's gone. So, Keep in mind when you're reading the scriptures that it may actually be that length of time, but it also may mean collectively. So in this case, it's collectively. Ten days, it's a short period. It's a temporary thing. Acts 25 and 6, And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down into the Cassaria, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought Yes, it could literally mean 10 days, less than two weeks, but more than likely, it represents a short time or a duration. Think about your age. I'm not going to ask you your age, but think about your age. And when you were a little boy or a little girl, you thought your age that you are now was old. Now, as you are at that age, is it that old? I'm 57. When I was a kid, I was 17 when my dad was 57 because he had me when I was when he was 40. So when I was when I was 17 years of age, my dad was 57. My dad was still going strong at the age of 57, still out working most everybody I knew including me so I had a little bit different concept of age but I do know that I used to think that 50s and 60s was old here I am it's not that old but it got here faster than I thought it would I've been with Duke Energy for 36 years I started working in 1986 with Duke and it just seems like a snap of my fingers and here we are barking at 40 years of service with the company. So things happen over a period of time but once you get away from that period of time it doesn't feel like it was that long. And he's telling them you shall have tribulation but be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. If we can endure till the end that's who wins. So that's what he's telling the church of Smyrna. Verse 11, and he that hath in the ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt at the second death. I hope you noticed a fact here. Christ had no rebuke of the church of Smyrna as he did at the church of Ephesus. We can just go back just a few pages, a few verses, and we see where the, uh, the rebuke was for the Ephesus church. Nevertheless, verse four in verse two in chapter two. Nevertheless, have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. So he rebuked the first church, but here in the second church he's not rebuking them. I hope you notice that Christ had no rebuke of the church of Smyrna as he did of the church of Ephesus, and as we will find out, the churches of Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea. Only Smyrna and Philadelphia. Received no rebuke. So let's look a little bit deeper at what was the church of Smyrna. That's in what I've called Appendix B. It was 30 miles north of Ephesus. We come into the second of the seven churches. Now remember, we started out at Ephesus. We're going to travel north for a little while and then we're going to start turning over to the southeast. And we're going to come back and pretty much make a loop. We're on the second church. This church was Smyrna. Smyrna is a seaport city, just as Ephesus was, and it was very rich in man's goods, but not so much rich in God's blessings. But the church was poor in man's world, but rich in God's blessings. The scriptures point out that the church of Smyrna was, was very rich in God's blessing, but was in extreme poverty. As travelers exited the ship, they passed by the temple of Cybele. Cybele was the goddess of wild nature, of healing, of fertility. Was a protectorus in time of war. They took up an offering at the at that temple. This temple was visited by many daily, and then they would travel on to the god of little G, Apollo. Apollo was the twin brother of Artemis, and we read about Artemis in the book, or in the first part of this chapter in in, uh, Ephesus. Was the god of the god of archery, music, dance, truth, and prophecy, healing and diseases, sun and light, poetry, and other things, and they left more money. You, You gave an offering of... Goods of food of whatever or of money to the gods, little G. After visiting the temple of Apollo, visitors could travel to the temple of Asclepius. Asclepius was the son of Apollo and the god of healing and medicine. So there's another place where people left their money. Continuing from, continuing from Cypulacus, the visitor would go to the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love, lust, beauty, pleasure, passion, and procreation. Another place to leave your money. So now you see why the people, the city was rich, the people was poor. They was given a lot, and a lot of the money was going to the false gods. She was also known as Venus by the Romans. This journey ended up on the top of the mountain at the temple of Zeus. Zeus is believed by the Greeks to be the king of the gods and is equivalent to Jupiter in Roman mythology. The path between these temples was a straight path and was paved to make the way easier. In 23 AD, Smyrna won the right to build temples and statues of various Roman emperors as well, to become the center of Roman emperor worship. Guess what they left at the bust and the statues of the Roman emperors? Money. So the people are pouring their money out to these false gods, hoping to get a blessing in return. It is in this culture that the church of Smyrna was founded. It is in this culture that the church was persecuted for the standard for God and against false idols. Now, the two biggest differences between Smyrna and Ephesus were not only that that Smyrna not received a rebuke, but there is still a thriving city at the location that Smyrna was at. We know it as Izmir. It has a population of approximately 250,000 people, and it was still a center of travel and trade until 1492. And no, I did not misprint that. Smyrna was still a travel and trade location until the route was discovered to India and Columbus sailed the ocean blue and found Cuba, or the New World, part of which we call the United States of America. In 1424 though, Smyrna fell into the hands of the Turks and they, they started losing a lot of their grip at that point, but. At 1492 is when they really lost their, favored, their their travel and their trade favored status. Remember, we was reading all the way back from 23 AD up to 1492. They are still a city. Ephesus, there is nothing there but archaeological ruins. Smyrna is still a city. Remember, God did not rebuke Smyrna. He did not threaten to remove their, their candlestick. He did not threaten to destroy them and they're still there. Coincidence? I don't think so. We'll see later and we're going to stop there because as I said, I, I kind of, I kind of want to do this week by week, do one, one church a week. And I knew this one would be short. So we're going to stop there for our study, but. You're welcome to read ahead and figure out what happened in Pergamos and figure out what happened in Thyatira and figure out what happened in Philadelphia and figure out what happened in Laodicea. You're welcome to. But remember, if you come with a question, you also have to come with the answer. Smyrna was not rebuked. It's still around today. And that is what blew me away. What really caught my attention was that it didn't lose its favored status until 1492. And that's something, you know, we, we think modern history, really. That's where Columbus thought he discovered a new world. Never have figured out how he could think that he had discovered a new world when there was people already there, but he discovered a new world. Any questions or comments so far? We went through Ephesus. We have been through Smyrna, and next week we will go to Pergamos. We will continue our journey. I think it actually starts turning towards the east a little bit to, to Pergamos. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us again the opportunity to come to your house to worship and praise and to study. Lord, we ask that you'll move, that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll open up our eyes of understanding so that we can understand better what you are having us to read, and what we are studying, God. We ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Next week.